You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Evan Banks. And I'm Emily Ashenfelter. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's July 17th. States and school districts are grappling with whether and how to bring students and teachers back to class this fall. Beyond the health and safety concerns, many educators and parents are worried about learning loss. A decade of RAND research shows that student progress slows down during the typical summer break. And for low-income children, progress slows even more. Children in low-income households tend to learn less during the summer than their higher-income classmates. Not only that, they're less likely to spend their summers traveling, taking art or music classes, or visiting a museum or library. The result is a learning gap that opens every summer. This may help explain the college attainment gap between low-income and high-income students. More than three-quarters of high-income students have a four-year college degree by the time they turn 25, compared with only around 10% of low-income students. Fortunately, evidence from RAND research shows that high-quality summer learning programs can help close this gap. The best programs we analyzed, the ones that help kids perform better in math, reading, and social and emotional learning, recruit top teachers with grade-level experience and provide rigorous academic curricula. They run for five or six weeks during the summer, and they have a clear attendance policy for students. It takes commitment, planning, and funding to get programs like these up and running. And that means the time is now to start thinking about how to get kids caught up. Another U.S. presidential election is on the horizon, which means that Russian election interference is back in the news. According to RAND experts, Russian trolls are doing more than trying to influence who you vote for in November. Moscow's objective is to create an illusion of deep-seated divisions between people like you and people who aren't like you. The goal is to trigger emotional reactions and drive people to ideological extremes, making it nearly impossible to build a consensus. Here's an example. Suppose you and your neighbor agree that your property taxes are too high, but you disagree on issues related to sensitive topics like race relations or immigration. You start seeing memes online that focus on extreme views on these topics. The memes evoke strong reactions, painting the issue not as a disagreement, but as a battle between two extremes. You begin thinking of your neighbor based on this false dichotomy. The neighbor becomes one of them, rather than a person with whom you shared some common ground. This shows why Russia doesn't particularly care about the details of U.S. social or political issues. The point is to pit Americans against one another, regardless of political beliefs. RAND experts say that it's unclear if these efforts are working, but it's up to everyone to try to stop them. Tech firms have a responsibility to root out Russian social media content and ensure that their users are who they claim to be. Political, religious, and civic leaders could do more to bring people together and help build consensus on the divisive issues that Russia may try to exploit. And all of us, as social media users, have to fight back by being more careful about what we share online. Don't forward content from unknown sources. Don't post content that you haven't fact-checked yourself. And be aware that even a humorous meme may have a dark underlying goal. 
to make you think less of your fellow Americans. Imagine that two people work the same number of years and are paid the exact same salary. But once they retire, one person receives twice as much from Social Security as the other. Such a disparity would be shocking among retirees. But with unemployment benefits, that's precisely what happens, says Rand economist Catherine Edwards. Every state has its own method for calculating unemployment benefits, its own calculation for defining a worker's past earnings, its own formula for determining how much of that income will be replaced by unemployment insurance, and its own cap on benefits. This fragmented approach presents a concerning problem. States with more black workers generally have less generous unemployment benefits. At the national level, this means that black workers receive less financial support in unemployment, simply because of where they live. Now, to be clear, all workers in these less generous states are affected, regardless of race, but these states are home to a high share of black workers, which explains the disparity. But the fact that black workers live in less generous states isn't an accident of modern policymaking. Today's state-administered unemployment system is based on policies that date back to the New Deal in the 1930s, and the racial implications persist to this day. There have been calls to reform the U.S. unemployment system for years, and Edwards says these troubling inequities may be another reason to do so. Quote, Economic racial inequality in America cannot be solved through unemployment insurance, but it certainly shouldn't be exacerbated by it. Iran has dramatically increased its investment in the Houthi movement in recent years. A new RAND report examines whether this investment might lead to the Houthis becoming an enduring proxy group that protects and promotes Iranian interests in Yemen, just as Hezbollah does in Lebanon. Let's start with why Iran is backing the Houthis. Iran has frequently turned to proxy groups to try to expand its reach in the Middle East and to antagonize its adversaries while minimizing the risk of a direct conflict. The Houthis represent an attractive opportunity on both counts. They offer Iran reach into Yemen and the adjacent Red Sea, and they provide Iran with a way to harass its rival, Saudi Arabia. But it's not yet clear if the Houthis can transition from a capable fighting force to a competent governing and political group. This is key. If the Houthis can become an effective governing party in Yemen, then Iran might pursue a true partnership and gain a formidable regional ally. But if the Houthis cannot achieve this, then the Houthi-Iran relationship will likely remain transactional. China aspires to become the world leader in artificial intelligence by 2030. If it succeeds, then China would gain a substantial military advantage over the U.S. and its allies. So how do these two powers compare today? Authors of a new RAND report say that as of early 2020, the U.S. has a modest lead in AI technology development, although China is attempting to chip away at America's edge through massive government investment. China has an advantage over the U.S. in the area of big data sets, which are essential to the development of AI applications. This is partly because data collection by the Chinese government and large Chinese tech companies is not constrained by privacy laws and protections. All in all, the authors conclude that it's difficult, 
perhaps impossible, to determine which country has the lead in AI. But there are steps that the U.S. can take to achieve and maintain a competitive advantage. These include developing and maintaining a forward-looking AI roadmap and creating a workforce pipeline to ensure that there are plenty of highly trained engineers who can develop, design, and test new AI systems. RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis. For more on what we covered this week, check out the show notes at rand.org/podcast. See you next week.